0: History life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshah Burlington Business Park Tullamore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands, worshaw.ie.
1: Now good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103, it's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now thank you all for joining me and weather, 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 as always the first topic on the programme, an amount of respite from the rain these last couple of days but still hugely unsettled and more of the same into next week, this weekend is giving very, very unsettled. We'd all like a, a period of dry weather now for uh, for both person and livestock. Hopefully it will come sooner rather than later. But out of our hands, so whatever comes, uh, comes. And uh, hopefully, as I say, we'll get some settled weather in the next week or so. Now I have to start this week by mentioning the programme which aired on RTE on Monday night entitled Dairy's Dirty Secret. I'm sure you all saw it and I'll be covering that in just a moment here on the programme. Uh, in advance of that, uh, Ollie Ryan from local company Midland Vet, which has premises around the Midlands, is also spokesperson for the Irish Licensed Merchants Association. Ollie joins me in studio shortly with news on the rules on purchasing dosing from your local merchant. Finally, some light is being shed on that area. It's something we've covered many times here in the programme. We've been going around in circles on it, but we have a bit more Uh, uh, concrete information on it this evening. A big event taking place in Gertine next week on the topics of energy and farm diversification. Barry Caslin is the man in the know and will be speaking to me later. So if you're interested in solar panels, wind turbines or looking at alternative income streams on your farm, be it a food or tourism business then stay tuned for that. Speaking of food businesses, towards the end of the hour, we have a lady from County Kerry. Mary Thea Brosnan's business is called Kerry Kefir. Kefir, if you're not familiar, is a milk-based drink that is excellent for your gut and in turn, your general health. It's over 2,000 years old. Originates, I should say, from the Caucasus Mountains between Georgia and Russia, no less. And we're going to hear all about this product later in the hour. As always, please text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 30 10 103. Now, as I said, big news item in Irish agriculture this week is the Primetime program on Monday night entitled Dairy's Dirty Secret. It's by uh, RTE Primetime Investigates. Fran McNulty was the man behind it. Now, I contacted RT today and indeed Fran McNulty uh, for an interview this evening and uh, I was told to go through through the official channels. Uh, I hope to try and have him for a chat uh, this time next week. But a man who did feature heavily on the programme is the ICMSA's Pat McCormack. Uh, Pat, many thanks for taking my call this
2: evening. Thank you, MJ. Good evening to your listeners.
1: As I said, Pat, you featured heavily on the programme. Look, everyone involved in agriculture, uh, be it dairy, be it beef, be it sheep, would have seen this programme on Monday night. Uh, after seeing it and letting it settle, Pat, what are your overall thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, I suppose, look, just the programme itself, first of all, Um, you know, certainly the agri-industry and all involved in rural Ireland and the agri-industry will look forward to this programme. There was a huge build-up to it. There were sensational um, pieces uh, put out in RTE in order to gain, I suppose, an audience. Um, Look, disappointed, I suppose, and and very, very disappointed with some of the articles that featured there, you know. Um, there's lessons to be learned from it but overall I suppose the most disturbing pictures that were that were shown were they, those of Aarhus in France four years ago where a man came in and bit gas back from the feeding truck and also I suppose from a slaughterhouse in New Zealand now taking them out of it then there were issues and they were predominantly in, in the Irish marts and you know hopefully there's lessons there um, for, for marts on staff training and I suppose having sufficient manpower that they don't have to resort to any kind of Hardly by tactics, shall we say. Um, But, you know, I suppose it's a wake-up call to the industry, MJ, and we need to learn from it and see what can be done um, to to reduce our exposure ever again and indeed to eliminate uh, any form of cruelty to our animals along the supply chain. Um, The other, I suppose, disappointing element in it was that they followed a lorry, um, and that lorry, you know, didn't obey the times that are put down in legislation and the timekeeping and the stoppages and that's a substantial issue and I know that both uh, the exporter uh, and, and, and the Department of Agriculture are analysing that scenario and um, you know it was done by a contractor and certainly that contractor and he's a hard driver um, have questions to answer as well as regards why they didn't obey the legislation that's there
1: I suppose, Pat, when it comes to the export of calves, look, uh, we're all familiar in uh, the agri-circles that lots of calves are exported, and the more they're exported, the better it is for the Irish trade. Uh, There's no question about that, especially the Frisian bull calves. Without an export trade, we would be in big trouble with them all here on the island of Ireland. So, as you say, it is about learning from it. But... When you're looking at these animals being brought from uh, the south of the country down across uh, over to uh, Amsterdam or um, Holland, I should say, or wherever the um, uh, the position is that they're going, it, we're talking about trying to feed them. Is it looking at something like we need some sort of a, a, a layerage in central France, be it, or somewhere where calves can be fed en route? Like, it's not just looking at those lorries, like it's not going to be possible to feed those calves on the lorries. There's not enough space on them like what is the kind of uh, thought process in relation to that if they are to get a feed on en route
2: yeah and look maybe also last thing before they exit the country uh before they the board the boat uh maybe a, a significant or a, a timely uh, time to feed and give them maybe a rest period before they they into the fray of the lorry and indeed the, the the transit but that that is certainly one of the options that's out there but there are there is a lot of exploratory work being done uh, as regards putting in sufficient teeth um, in every pin that those calves could be fed on the journey and I think if that was to happen to be a game changer um, there wouldn't be the requirement for feeding and maybe and I say that maybe a reduced stocking density density um, might give more comfort as well where they'd get a sufficient amount of rest period but you know in the last number of years we have changed the stocking density from 0.3 metres squared per calf to 0.325 so that has shown a, an increase, uh, and ultimately, you know, there's probably 30 less calves on every lorry, and that has, that has had a significant impact on the cost of exporting. But oh, you would hope that it would have had an impact on the welfare of the calves that would be travelling.
1: Uh, I felt, Pat, myself from watching the programme that the heading of it, the title of it Dairy's Dirty Secret was uh, very sensationalist and uh, it was, you know, to get people in and to get people involved in it from from the start Uh, like it's no secret that calves are exported every year like we, we all are aware of it we're all familiar with it this whole connotation of the dirty part of it and I even felt the, the music that was playing in the background was, uh, had an eerie undertone and was almost trying to, uh, to, to lure people in that there was something underhand occurring when for the most part there was no pictures of green fields, of cows grazing, of healthy calves, of <laughs> the local farmer who maybe goes and buys five or six whitehead bulls or Angus bulls and brings them home and feeds them uh, and there's any amount of that going on but yet
2: we didn't see any of this. Look M Jess, Boston, the word go. And um, and I mean from the very word go when RTE contacted ICMSA to know with Pat McCormick do an interview on dairy expansion and the potential of the voluntary reduction scheme. I immediately set about uh, we secured a date or agreed the date that would happen. And um, my thought was, God, I better have grass and I better have a field of grass with a bit of clover in it that day. Um, because it was going to be about obviously reducing emissions and the part that clover could play. When they arrived on farm, I suppose it's fair to say we had plenty of thunder and plenty of lightning and that was before the questions were being asked. Uh, and rain, so it became very evident to me that they weren't particularly bothered about going out to get uh, the background of a herd of cows and and clover. Um, and I suppose the second question in turned to animal welfare. And from that point, uh, it was a fairly intense hour and 55 minutes of Q and A. Uh, and you know, in that regard, I suppose they would have misquoted me on 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 their um, exposure of the program. In this, um, this was our boom. That was taken in the context of doing doing a leave in the late 90s, missing going doing agriculture and missing out on the whole uh, Celtic Tiger and you know finding ourselves in 08 or nine in a significant recession and then the opportunity for expansion through the dairy industry and the abolition of quotas. Um, and I said that was our, our boom, but you know they used the dirty dairy. They picked that from another contributor uh, and and when he said it, so I suppose to say that the program you wouldn't be satisfied with the format for the production of the programme will be an understatement, um, but look, we can't go away from the fact that has highlighted a significant issue in our industry, that be is the treatment of calves and the whole concept of bringing all calves to the market one day. Maybe there's potential to run maths twice a week, one to gather calves for export, and the other uh, for farm-to-farm sales, shall we say, through the ring. And, uh, you ring. Know, all those things are going to have to be explored in the weeks and months ahead, as well as math training and the logistics of being able to obey um, both the techograph from a road safety perspective, but also the animal movement across Europe legislation. Because you you alluded to it, it's absolutely critical that we get those 200 calves out of the country um, in any given spring. And, uh, you know, we've seen years there where the weather would play havoc in in the February, early March, and it would have a a significant impact on, on the price of calves in the Mart or suitable calves in the Mart for a number of weeks until they'd get the backlog cleared. Um, you know, we have expended and expended substantially, but I think we've expended in the vast majority of cases wisely, and I suppose that's the one thing that disappointed me out of the programme, was there was a lot of talk about the half a percent or the one percent that are doing things maybe in a less desired way, but there's very little talk about the 99 or the 99.5% of farmers that get up and during the night and fee cares and children fee cares before they go to school in the morning and parents fee cares in the morning and the evening and brothers and sisters and various people roll up their sleeves over the weekend or over whatever period it is, all with a view to treating the calves as humanly possible, as as well as possible from a human perspective and the level of human resources that are there. Albeit, that doesn't take from the fact that calves were undeniably mistreated during that period of time from there on. But, you know, I suppose, MJ, we have to remember that John McNulty and RT are after putting six months' work into this and that's a significant issue. And the most gruesome, gruesome pictures they got were a, one, a recording from New Zealand and a recording from France four years ago. So, you know, we have to bear that in mind, but we have to improve. We cannot stand still after this wake-up.
1: Yeah, very good, Pat. Uh, I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme this evening. And uh, look, no doubt uh, this will be an issue we're speaking about going forward. Many thanks, Pat.
2: Thank you, MJ, and good evening, listeners
1: uh pat McCormick there from the icmsa and uh i presume look you all have your own opinion on this program as i said I, I just felt it was sensationalist from the from the outset uh that uh, image of the uh, slaughterhouse in new zealand i really don't know why that was shown on the program considering this was about the irish issue and uh, and irish calves uh, it was put in just just purely for filler and just purely to uh to add to it all, and I, I just thought it was it was unfair, and I didn't I didn't really agree with that part of it. Uh, the handling of the calves in the marts, uh, nobody is saying that is correct, and uh, definitively, uh, drovers in marts need to be trained better on how to handle calves. Uh, there is no question about that. Use of sticks on young animals, uh, it's just not acceptable, and I think everybody is on the same page on that. But in general, uh, there definitely was a connotation that uh, this is how all cows are handled in the country. And that's certainly not the case, uh, not in any way, shape or form. And as Pat said, the 99% of dairy farms out there and dairy farmers out there are treating animals uh, with care, respect and dignity they're being well fed they're being looked after and uh, on any dairy farms I go to and I'm, I'm on plenty of them here and there uh, I never see any cruelty issues occurring so um, the movement across Europe is the one that we have to be cognizant of and uh, definitively yes cows need to be fed if they're going for 18 or 20 hours there's just no question about that uh, and that's something that needs to be looked into the one uh, area I saw in it that uh, I would be a little bit cognizant of is the fact that uh, some of these uh, veal operations may be moving out towards rural uh, Romania was mentioned on it. So, whatever about bringing calves to uh, Northern Spain or to Holland, uh, throw another uh, what two, three country journey across out to that part of the world, and then there will be significant issues. So, it's about addressing the uh, the issues that are here and trying to keep these calves as close to uh, our side of the continent as possible. Uh, now, coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking to Ollie Ryan from Midland Vet. He's going to have news for us in relation to dosing and where you're going to be able to purchase it in January 2024. So stay tuned for that.
0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Telemore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. worshow.ie
1: and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, Ali Ryan from Midland Vet joins me in studio. Ali, many thanks for popping in and having a chat with us this evening.
3: Thanks, MJ. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Uh, more than welcome, Ali. And uh, look, we're aware of Midland Vet. Just tell us where you have your premises around the Midlands firstly, Ollie.
3: Um Yeah, we're based in uh, Cloncolic Industrial Estate in Tullamore and we're Eden Derry as well and Port Arlington. And we have a distribution network almost nationwide. So we can cover most of Ireland most of the time.
1: Busy, 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 Ollie, yeah. but you're also finding time to be the, I suppose, self-appointed or spokesperson uh, for the Irish Licensed Merchants Association. And to break that down for our listeners, that's essentially all the shops where uh, farmers can go in and buy their dosing that isn't a vet. I'm pretty correct in that, am I mean.
3: Yeah. Basically, it's, well, it kind of represents all the merchants and corps as well are included in that. And anyone that has a licensed merchant's license is included under that bracket
1: and farmers very familiar with popping in buying their dosing and they would have heard over the last uh, year, year and a half changes were coming afoot that they wouldn't be able to buy their dosing in the merchants anymore they'd have to buy it all off the vets there was toing and froing you were arguing on the side of the merchants. The vets were arguing on their side. Uh, we've come to, a, what would I say, a kind of a conclusion on this in the last period of
3: time. Can you tell us where we stand now, please, Ali? Yeah, basically the bill was uh, passed into law in the Shannon last week um, after three years of um, a lot of toon and fro from ourselves and all the stakeholders with the Department of Agriculture on it. And, you know, we all met our submissions and thankfully we've kind of, after a lot of deliberations re- reached a common ground on it um, and basically it will ensure the viability and the future of most merchants in Ireland although the smaller merchants will, you know, have a harder task because you need to be in the larger section of the veterinary medicines to, to, to make it viable going forward. Um, it's it's going to allow for data driving uh, more upskilling of the responsible person and basically you know wider availability which is in the terms of the regulation that it's you know uh, more competition and wider availability which is what europe has set out in this regulation so Ali, will
1: we be able to purchase uh, or pour on or those things then from uh, the likes of merchants come uh, january does a vet have to be involved
3: yeah a vet has to prescribe but uh, the crucial part of this is the responsible person who is the person that's working in all these shops we'll have to be upskilled a bit more. And there's new, we're excited that there's, you know, a new training module after being, we're launching at the minute and we're, we're going through a lot of discussions with the department on it. And basically it'd mean an awful lot more upskilling. So the responsible person can provide the data to the vet and make a decision on what the farmer should or shouldn't use. So basically is the cattle coffin or the weather, different areas you know in Ireland have say an issue with red water uh, the responsible person will nearly know that quicker than a vet because they're dealing with that farmer on a daily basis so um, he will play a crucial role in the uh, advising and dispensing of anti-parasitic and vaccines and ali, the
1: the larger companies, look your your Grenons, your Liffey's, your big companies, uh, realistically, it's going to be fairly straightforward. They're probably just going to hire a vet, have a vet on staff, and that vet again well, can can, can uh, administer the prescription for the farmers. But for the smaller outfits, yeah uh,
3: what, what way is that going to work? well that that might necessarily be the case. What we would be encouraging all our members to do is align themselves with a, a pro- their local vet. And there's an awful lot of vets in Ireland that don't actually uh, dispense uh, or retail. So, you know, align yourself with your local vet who will also have local knowledge. So that's our first uh, port of call in this. So is all the small merchants have a relationship with their local vet. And that that can't be bad for farming either. You know, that connection. So that's that's what we're encouraging. And even for the bigger merchants, that's what we will be trying to achieve first and foremost And if we run into a stumbling block where vets in practice are not writing the prescriptions, well, then we have to look at alternatives, how we're going to do it. So we have to stay viable in this.
1: I'm sure the uh, vets are uh, are well known for uh, always ensuring that uh, everything is very commercially viable. Uh, That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, But uh, for these prescriptions, if... uh, like likes yourselves, uh yourselves want to sell a, a pour-on and a prescription has to come from a, a local vet. Um, they're probably not going to do it for the good of their health, at so this is what farmers are wondering. Are they going to have to pay the vet for Absolutely. the prescription, then then pay for the dosing as well?
3: Obviously have to pay for the dosing. But how is that going to work, do you think? Well, like, this is a new regulation. It's a big change for everybody. And the merchants, more than anybody, has to make the big change here. We're the ones now that has to look at our industry being handed over to the veterinary industry, i.e. the the prescription-only medicine route from a free-sale route where it was licensed merchant. So it's a big, big change for us. Um, so the, the, uh, everything that brings more bureaucracy and more paperwork is obviously going to bring more costs. So there is going to be a cost in a prescription, but it shouldn't be substantial. And in most cases, if in order to say over 200 euros, you could absorb the cost of the prescription into it. But we will be trying to ensure... We are as competitive as we've always been, and we have to stay viable as well, of course. I'm sure,
1: Ali Then the uh, the smaller uh, merchants, say the uh, the one man operation, maybe in the in the middle of. Nowhere is a little bit conscious, a little bit worried, maybe it could be an older person running it uh, they mightn't be as familiar with technology, trying to line up with a vet. Uh, has there been any uh, talk of those type of merchants getting together, maybe to making a little group and then going and um, chatting to one specific vet and seeing would he or she work for four or five of them together?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's what we will be encouraging. Like, my role in this has been always uh, representing the smaller merchants. We we are, we supply a lot of smaller merchants ourselves. And my role in this and my whole reason for doing it at the start was one for uh, making sure the small merchant in this far end of Ireland stays viable in all of this because that's crucial. There's a lot of these small towns and villages. That's all they have is a merchant, maybe a pub and a post office. Not even a post office now, but the merchant is the last link between a farmer in reality sometimes, but it's so important to keep them there and to keep them viable because, you know, you won't make money selling feed on its own. You have to have everything. And if you don't have everything, you have to, farmers won't go to you. They'll always go to where they can get all their stuff in one go. But it's 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 crucial that we, all these small merchants can get the prescriptions and, you know, be able to obtain them. The other thing I just want to point out is that they... they, they are, the paper prescriptions as we know them are going to be gone there will be no paper prescriptions it's going to be all in the MVPS system which is all an iCloud based system so once this prescription goes into the cloud it's kind of there for anyone whoever the farmer's it's the farmer's choice then who he buys his stuff off of that's the crucial thing. It's and that,
1: that'll be linked with, a, I know older farmers are listening now and they're saying, well, I can barely uh, dial a number, let alone work a smartphone or talk about a cloud. The only cloud I understand is when rain comes out of them. Yeah. So uh, that's linked to the herd number, I presume, Ali and it doesn't yeah. really affect the, the farmer per se.
3: No, but there's a lot of vets who have, wouldn't be that au fait with the no? digital system either. Mm-hmm. So they have huge changes to make. So there's a lot of work to be done in regarding the rollout of this new system. And between upskilling of the, uh, the the merchants and the responsible person, the farmer's going to have to get seriously upskilled here as well because whether he buys it off the merchant or the vet, he's still going to have to uh, use the cloud system to get his prescription. Uh, and Ollie, this is starting then, is it... Kind of up near at the moment,
1: or is it definitively going to kick off one January twenty
3: twenty-four? Yeah, it, it, it's we're, we're in uh, negotiations with the, the the statutory instrument at the moment with the department in the working document that backs up the amendment that was made to ensure this amendment or the bill went through. So that that'll probably take about eight to ten weeks. Uh, and then after that, then it'll, it'll slowly come into play. I, there'll be an integration period where everyone will be given a bit of time to get used to the system and move on. I would say that probably closer to the end of the year that this will be up and running fully. I can't give you an exact date on it, mm-hmm. but definitely between October and January, this will be up and running fully. I can't say for sure.
1: Yeah, very good, Ollie. Look, uh, big changes—a foot, no question about it. Uh, great rundown there, I have to say, and we kind of have a bit more certainty on it now. I'm going to say many thanks for popping in and speaking to us this evening here on the program. Thank you
3: very much, uh,
1: Ollie Ryan, there from Midland Vet and the Irish License Merchants Association. As we said, big changes uh, coming down the tracks in relation to that, but hopefully, look, lots of competition still. That's really the main thing, and uh, farmers won't be too confused with everything that's happening and uh, look a lot of these things they sound very very complicated but once they get up and running and people start understanding how they operate uh, things should work reasonably well and uh, it is nice to see the the merchants still having the ability to sell our dosing products because at the end of the day that's what we want we want competition we want fair prices uh, between not only the vets but also vets, merchants and everyone trying to give the best value uh, possible to the farmers Now coming up after the break we're going to be speaking to Barry Caslin from Chagas It's a big event coming up in Gertine tomorrow week and it's all about energy and farm diversification so stay tuned for that
0: Country Life on Midlands 103 Brought to you by W. Orshow, Burlington Business Park Telemore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshore.ie
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to energy and farm diversification. A big event coming up in Gertin Ag College tomorrow week and Barry Caslin is the man behind it. Barry, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
4: Good evening, MJ, good to be here.
1: Uh, Barry, you are a busy, busy man. I'm on your website here, Energy and Farm Diversification Show 2023. And I often say this about events that are upcoming. I say the amount of stuff that's on it. But my good God, the amount of stuff you have on here. Uh, you'd want to run this for about three days, Barry, I think.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking that myself as well. It's, uh, it's a fairly broad show. And we spoke about this in the past, MJ, as well. And in the past, we generally called it energy and agriculture, but we've uh, moved it out to energy and farm diversification. Uh, And really in the past, it was all about energy in in agriculture, which was looking at solar PV and anaerobic digestion, biogas, Uh, those technologies relevant to farmers. And also, of course, energy efficient technologies that can be used on dairy farms, pig units and poultry units as well. And of course, the opportunities for for farmers to start selling electricity back to the grid is is a new area as well that's really coming to the fore this year and the, the TANS grant for solar PV is a is a is a big game changer in terms of farmers getting involved in producing their own electricity and selling that back to the grid. But we've widened it out MJ this time as well to uh, farm, you know, low carbon farming. This is going to be a, another marquee in that whole area. And the third area then is um around farm diversification, as you mentioned in the title there. And that's really about um, you know, looking at artisan food production and supports that's available. Uh, for that, the likes of glamping, um, camping, uh, farm diversification, in terms of uh, you know um, uh, uh, agri-tourism, and and of course the areas such as organic farming and forestry is included in that.
1: Uh, yeah, so as as we were saying, uh, Barry, there's just there's just so much uh, on offer. I suppose really to have a good look at the website before you go, pick the few areas that you're interested in, and uh, try and try and get to those different talks. Just I'm just looking at a few different things. I'm I'm sure that solar panels on sheds is just going to be a big big one now for farmers when they go to this. They're going to want to find out uh, options, costings, and as you say, if they can sell back power to the grid. For the larger scale farmer, larger scale dairy farmer, look, the solar's pretty much a no brainer because they're using so much power, cooling milk and, and whatnot. Uh, for the smaller scale farmer, uh, be it a beef or sheep farmer who's not using as much power, but there's a TAMS grant there available at the moment, 60%. You get your VAT back as well and you have your capital allowance. Uh, is it worthwhile to go down the route of putting panels up on your cattle shed?
4: Absolutely. I mean, no other industry has that kind of level of support 60%. I mean, you can get an SEI grant for your house for 30, with a 30% grant, and it was only announced there last week that all other businesses can get grants uh, for 30%, but the agri-sector has a grant through TAMS of 60%, and it really has resulted in a payback of two to four years for dairy farmers and pig units and poultry units as well. And, of course, that money that's in TAMS for solar PV, it's a ring-fenced dairy of ninety euros so it doesn't affect any other TAMs money uh, that you might want for the likes of tanks or sheds or anything else. It It's it's a separate pool of money. So that's why it's really making sense for dairy farmers, pig farmers and poultry farmers to look at solar PV. But you mentioned then the smaller farmers, like cattle farmers, such as uh, cattle and sheep farmers who don't really have a large electricity use. They are also entitled to get the 60% grant for their house and their sheds now you could argue that they don't use a lot of electricity at this time of the year in the summertime in their sheds but they would use electricity in their house or the farmhouse which may be supplying maybe electric fences um, uh, that's, that's supplying the farm that's that would be the main outlet but it's a great opportunity to get your house uh, fitted with solar panels at a 60 grant rate uh, and it also includes battery storage and i think that's an area we want to focus on at the energy and farm diversification show on the energy side is energy storage because a lot of dairy farmers will have their cows out grazing on the warm hot summer's days um, and they won't have that use for the electricity all the the time maybe for a bit of milk cooling so they can use the electricity uh, and use it to charge a battery and they can also use the electricity through a diverter to heat hot water so they can do the hot wash in the evenings as opposed to doing it in the mornings so there's um, lots of opportunities, and I suppose there is an, exhi- an exhibitor's area there, also MGA, where people can mix with technology specialists and uh, technology providers uh, in the solar area, in the biogas area, and, and ask them the, the the relevant questions, because there is a lot of variables out there, or a variety in terms of quality of panels, quality of systems. And, you know, if that, being able to ask the right questions about what system is going to su- suit you best, and sizing the system adequately for your sheds as well you know there's no point in oversizing it putting on too many kilowatts of solar pv onto your house or onto your sheds and and you will be limited by your previous electricity use as well and you could also be limited by your transformer capacity and a lot of people ask me that question is you know how big can they go with the panels can they put up you know way above what they need you can't under microgeneration but there will be a scheme coming in um in the next uh in the next few weeks, actually, it's called a small scale generation scheme. We don't have the details on it yet, but that's going to be of interest to people who want to uh develop a small project or maybe a community project for solar or for wind uh, on a couple of acres of land and start selling uh, electricity back to the grid but that's 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 another scheme. but micro generation and certainly the topic of the day with solar PV.
1: Another area that's uh, very interesting, uh, Barry, and it's something that, look, we hear a little bit about it. It it comes in, it comes out. There's not a lot of info on it yet, but it's this whole area of uh, trying to earn revenue by sequestering carbon. There is a talk on it and uh, what is the outlook for it, essentially. Uh, Paul Smith uh, from the ICMSA is speaking along with some other speakers. In a word, Barry, where are we uh, on this, this whole concept of sequestering carbon and, and obtaining revenue from
4: it? Yeah, I suppose carbon farming, it's a, it's a hot topic and you know, um, some carbon is very easy to measure and some carbon is very difficult to measure. And a lot of the ground, below the ground uh, carbon, uh, that's the one that's difficult to measure. And if you take our peat soils across the country, you know, one of the biggest problems is that our peat soils are actually emitting carbon. So if some people have to be, be careful what you wish for, because what you might find is some of your soils are emitting carbon as opposed to sequestering carbon. Carbon. So we need to get baselines on where we're at with below ground Carbon before we can actually start trading that carbon. Some carbon then is easy to measure. Like if if you put up a five kilowatt solar PV panel array, it's very easy to say that you're offsetting maybe one and a half tons of CO2 uh, per year from that system because it's, it's it's very measurable against the counterpart, which was electricity coming from the grid, which has um has a a, a default value of 0.325 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. But when it comes to um, below ground biomass and also the biomass is stored in your hedges and it's being sequestered in your grassland that's where it gets trickier and that will require better systems. Chagas have set up what's called a signpost program now <clears throat> where it's a free service that's available to uh, any farmer in your area right across the country indeed uh, and if they want to find out where they're at and, and get a benchmark, a benchmark figure on terms of where they're at with their carbon at the moment in terms of soil stored carbon and where there could be in terms of a better carbon footprint, in terms of the kilograms of CO2 per kilogram of beef or kilograms of CO2 per uh, liter of milk, like this will all be measured in the future. But we're at the very early stages of it here in Ireland, and there is, you know, there is some carbon that can be can be easily measured, potentially traded, but it's going to take another couple of years before we see those carbon markets uh, opening up, and we need verification processes and ways of registering that carbon. Um, to, to evolve as well.
1: It is interesting what you say though Barry about being careful of what you wish for just in case you're actually emitting carbon and uh, that would be a big head scratcher for people because people aren't aware of that they just think that all, all all carbon goes into the soil as opposed to the other way around so even just being, mm-hmm. co- being conscious and cognizant of that is very important. Lastly Barry just before I let you go the other uh, elements uh, on the day is that of farm diversification and again lots of talks on it here but uh, there's an interesting talk at just that noon for half 12 is farm diversification for you Uh, and this is something that people need to ask so you may have an idea whatever it is selling milk off your farm making butter making cheese whatever the case may be but then the actual logistics and mechanics of setting up a business finding a market moving those products from a to b uh, working maybe weekends to do it all of these things are these the areas people don't maybe really really think about before they go on with an on-farm business
4: Yeah, and a lot of people are very good in particular areas, might be good at maybe producing a good cheese or maybe uh, selling milk directly or setting up a vending machine on their farm. But when it comes to the whole area of all the aspects of a business and you're taking the whole supply chain by the scruff of the neck and you're literally buying the milk from maybe your brother or your father and setting up a, a business to sell that milk through vending machines or you're... You you know you you have to develop a business plan and all of that is going to require a lot of work a lot of input and some people are don't, don't have the skills in all those relevant areas to to set up a new business whether it's at lamping or camping site on your farm or anything like that and that's why there's great support that's available through the local enterprise office network and they're going to be a big part of the the event on the on on, thir- on tomorrow weekend, Thursday the 20th of July at Curtin College because the LEOs and uh, network in Tipperary will be outlining what supports are available through the LEO network nationwide and that's that would include mentors people to help you develop a business plan to do budgeting, finance, marketing strategy, social media and a lot of people aren't aware of that MJ in their local area that you can lean on the support and get mentors to help you develop your business plan because unless you develop a business plan and get it clear in your own head what way you want to go with your business whether it's a food business or a um, uh, self catering business, or, or or log cabins, or whatever you you plan on doing, you need to plan it out carefully, and you know do all the finances, the budgets on it, and be clear in your own head where this project is going and how you're going to, uh, you know, unless you convince yourself and your own family members as well, you find it very hard to convince, you know, the bank manager and the tanners and all of those other people to be, believe in your project as well. So I think attracting the best advice is so important and. That's why the LEO network will be very involved in the event on Thursday week.
1: Yeah, very good, Uh, Barry. Look, as I said, huge lineup. I'm going to just leave it there because we're just out of time. It's tomorrow week, Thursday, 20th of July. What time do you open your doors at, Barry?
4: Starts at 9 o'clock in the morning.
1: And free entry?
4: Free entry, yeah, absolutely. And the catering on on site as well. And it it finishes up at 5pm in the evening. But a lot happening. And as you said at the outset, MJ, it's very important to plan your day. Know what, what events that you want to see, what speakers you want to hear. There's going to be outdoor talks, indoor talks, um, and a lot of parallel sessions in all those different areas.
1: Excellent stuff. You're going to have a massive turnout for Barry. It's a, it's a great event, no question about it. And many thanks for joining me here on the program.
4: Pleasure. Thanks for yourself, MJ. Talk to you.
1: Uh, Barry Kazan there from Chagas. And uh, as I said, huge, huge, huge uh, array of speakers there uh, on offer on that day. And if you're interested in any of those areas, It's free, you go and you get to bounce off uh, all of these industry leaders in relation to be it solar, anaerobic digestion, uh, large scale solar, farm diversification, all these areas. Uh, So actually a a must visit, uh, I'd have to say. Now, speaking about farm businesses, uh, coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking to a lady from County Kerry, Mary Thea Brosnan, who has a farm business up and running for the last couple of years where she is making kefir from local cow's milk, so we're going to hear all about that in just a moment.
0: Country life on Midlands 103, brought to you by W Orshaw, Burlington Business Park, Telemore, supplier of New Holland tractors in the Midlands. W Orshaw.ie.
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, before the break, I was speaking to Barry Caslin about that event taking place in Gertine Ag College tomorrow week. One of the areas is that of farm diversification and setting up your own farm business. And we have no better woman on the line to speak about that now than Mary Thea Brosnan from County Kerry with her business Kerry Keffer. Mary Thea, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
5: Thanks a for having me on.
1: Uh, you're more than welcome. So let's get to the bottom of this first, Mary Theo. What exactly is kefir for people who don't know?
5: Sure. So kefir is a natural probiotic. So it's packed full of beneficial bacteria and yeast to support your digestive system and your immune system. So it's kind of like say, an Actimel or a Yakult, but a superpowered natural version of those. So you just take small amounts of it every morning on an empty stomach and it's going to set up your digestion for the day.
1: And it's made from uh, predominantly uh, what ingredient?
5: It's From milk, yeah. So hmm. it's basically like pretty much 100% milk but then we've added in all this additional bacteria and yeast and it's been through a fermentation process. So during the fermentation process, the bacteria have digested the lactose out of the milk so it's pretty much 90% lactose free and it's also partially broken down like the fats and the proteins and so it's really easily digestible say for people who might have difficulty digesting dairy.
1: And how did you get into this area Mary Thea what got you into kefir what was the light bulb moment behind it?
5: Um, So I had struggled with uh, digestive issues for years and I was diagnosed with IBS and I had just been controlling my IBS symptoms through diet and I'd actually given up dairy for years but a nutritionist was advocating kefir for um, IBS and so I bought the kefir grains from her and I started making it at home myself just for my own use. And within a week, I actually couldn't believe the difference it had made, like completely transformed my digestive system. And so I started doing some research and I noticed that the kefirs available on the supermarket shelves were kind of mass produced, commercially made ones. So I decided to move home to Kerry in 2018 and uh, set up the business to start producing this natural, traditional kefir using the actual living organisms.
1: And where are you producing it, uh, Mary Theory? you in a, a local business park that has uh, one of the catering facilities? Or are you doing it at home or what's the, the I, mechanics I'm behind it? I'm doing it
5: at home, yeah. yeah. So in my parents, uh, my parents have a yard out the back and um, I set up a, a container. It was actually a milk truck mm-hmm. and I converted it to a kitchen. So um, it's tiny, but we're, we're managing away there and it's uh, a fully functioning kitchen.
1: Fantastic stuff. And kefir has been on the go quite a while. You didn't invent it uh, down, in, down in Kerry. Tell us a little bit no. about the, the history of it, if you will.
5: Yeah, so it's believed to have been around since, um, you know, over 2000 years. And it originated in the Caucasus Mountains between Georgia and Russia. And it was the shepherds there that used to actually use it to um, preserve their milk. So while they were up the mountains, they would have the kefir grains in a bag with the milk, with a goat, a goat skin bag with milk inside in it. And um, it was used to preserve the milk.
1: And the, the preservation process, so we know milk roughly has a, a sell by date of about a week. Uh, but when it goes through the, the process and turns into kefir, you have a far longer shelf life, which really adds to the uh, commerciality of this product.
5: Yeah, yeah. so our shelf life is three weeks Mm. um, and even after that, that's kind of a best before date Um, and all that happens after that is it actually just loses its stability so it starts to separate into curds and whey um, but it's still not gone off at that Mm. point, it's just still fermenting so you can actually use the curds as well as the whey at that point and it's still perfectly safe to consume.
1: Now, I know you went through the Supervalue Food Academy and you're available in Supervalue down in your neck of the woods, County Kerry. But up yep. here, Lee Shoffley Westmead, if people are interested in purchasing your product, how do they do so?
5: Um, the best way really is through our website. So we have um, delivery direct to your door through our website with DPD. So we have the packaged in chilled packaging and um, it's usually next day delivery as so. well.
1: And you're ie. That's it, yeah. And uh, price point, uh, Mary Thea, what are you charging for this product? So
5: per bottle, so we sell it in a litre glass bottle and there's 10 servings in the glass bottle. So it's 10 euro for the full litre. So that's a euro per serving.
1: Yeah, very good. And considering, look at the glass bottle as well, you're not scrimping on, on quality, and uh, that's going to aid to uh, to the product as well. When you take it mm-hmm. into account versus uh, those small yogurts that you buy, uh, look, there'd be no comparison with what you're doing. Uh, but the price points, yeah. it, you're pretty on point, like.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, the manual labor that goes into it, and it's all glass equipment that we use, and um, the product itself is like you said far superior to what's currently on the shelf today
1: yeah fantastic so for mary Thea, we're going to let you go we're just out of time it's kerry Ie. we wish you all the best with it and uh hopefully your business goes from strength to strength many thanks for joining us this evening thanks so much mj i appreciate it uh mary Thea brosnan there and that product is kerry keffer and uh, log on to kerrykeffer.ie and have a look at it and there's another uh, product from Irish Dairy and uh, it's another brilliant one uh, that uh, it has a use by date of uh, three weeks but it doesn't even go off after three weeks and it has all that fantastic uh, gut health uh, in, in every bottle so Kerry Keffer is what that is uh, that's it for this evening's programme I'd like to thank all of my guests here over the course of the last hour uh, Pat McCormick joined me at the start of the programme and he was giving a rundown on the prime time programme from Monday Night Dairy's Dirty Secrets. Um, Pat was heavily involved in that. And if you haven't seen it, have a look at it on RT Player and make up your own mind on it. As I said, thought it was quite sensationalist from start to finish Ali uh, Ryan from Midland Vet gave us some information there on where you're going to get your dosing next year so you will still be able to get it from your licensed merchant however a prescription will be needed from the vet merchants and vets are going to team up uh, in order to give as much value as they can and look that is a good news story we want the merchants to stay going and give as much competition as possible and especially in those smaller areas of the country where they may be the only place where a farmer can go uh, and get his uh, his dosing and his Meal and whatnot. They want to keep the doors open, no question about that. Uh, Barry Kazan from Chagas joined us talking about that event tomorrow week, uh, the energy and farm diversification event. And Mary Thea Brosnan was just there with kerrykeffer.ie. That's it for this evening's programme. I'll be back with you this time next week. Show is repeated Sunday morning, 7am till 8am. Good night and God bless.
0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore, supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. worshaw.ie